0: Good morning, everybody. I am uh, extremely happy to be here with you guys. Uh, I'll be real, if I can be transparent here at the beginning, I don't feel very funny today. Um, I don't feel very funny, and I definitely don't feel lighthearted, but I don't want that tone to come through without acknowledging that I am genuinely happy to be here with you in the presence of the Lord today. I, I I love you guys. And genuinely, thank you, genuinely appreciate you, genuinely. I look forward to this time all week. Um, I care so deeply that, that we all get to be here together. And so authentically, for real, from like the realest part of my heart, to you, like I love you, and I love being here, and I'm so happy to be here, but I don't feel funny or lighthearted today. I hope that you'll extend to me the grace uh, of not feeling that this morning. I just want to be authentic this morning. As we close the series that we've been in for now six weeks, going through the book of Haggai. Now, I know some of you already Went, turned there, because you know, you're like, oh, Haggai, I, you know, I'm not like a creative or whatever, but I'm pretty sure we're going to go to Haggai. Stop laughing. I'm not feeling funny. Listen. Thank you. Um, and you might look and see that it's just two short chapters, and you wonder for, to yourself, oh, my goodness, pastor, how many, how many things can you say? About such a tiny book. It's 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 two chapters. You said you've been in it for how long? Six weeks. Would you do like a couple verses at a time? Yes. Yes, we were thorough. And I'm be honest. After KT came up here last week, I felt like we were done. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know how you felt. I felt done. I was like, yep, yep, wrap it up. That guy's over. On to the next one. Let's talk about bloodline or something. Because I'm, I'm done with this. Uh, and then I read it. I read this text this, this week. I told you this morning, I was ready to do a one-off. Like, let's just talk about something else for a week. Lord, what are you laying on my heart to say? And then I read this text this week. And I was like, no, we got one more. We got one more. I'll give you a disclaimer. This should probably be two more but maybe even three more, but grace, grace this morning. It's one more. We've, we've been through this book. We've talked about the fact that it's, it's setting is, is uh, God allowing for the people of Israel, the remnant that is to be released from exile and return to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the temple. But we we discovered that when they got to Jerusalem even though after all these generations they were talking about how they couldn't wait to rebuild the house of the Lord they immediately began work on their own homes instead because our personal comfort is more important than what the Lord has put on our heart sometimes and he and the Lord came to the prophet Haggai and he urged the Israelites to consider their ways to consider their priorities And just when he had them good and convicted and they repented, he came with another message to not be discouraged because he knew that they would be convicted to to begin to rebuild the temple. And as they would begin to rebuild the temple, they would get discouraged because the temple that they were building was nowhere near as great as the temple that once stood. And God comes to them and he's like, to be honest with you, it's not as great as it once was. But what I'm doing in you is greater than the temple that once stood. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Have peace. And then he came to Haggai a third time. What we talked about last week was to remind the people that they are blessed. Maybe not in our traditional understanding of being Blessed, surely not what we so freely tag as blessed. That was a pun. Hashtag. That was, I could see a couple blank faces. I was talking about hashtags. But certainly God's people are blessed. And now, this week, in Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 20 we see a fourth and final message from the Lord to the prophet Haggai. Pick me up, Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 20. and We're going to read all the way through the end. The text says this, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Second time meaning it was the same day as the third one, right? Verse 21, the Lord says, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. Verse 23, on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shaltiel, Declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So the Lord comes to the prophet Haggai one final time, and he gives them a message that is going to set up the work that he expects his people, the remnant, to go and to do. He's giving them a message to give them somewhat of encouragement and motivation because he knows the things that are about to come their way. He knows that the threat of opposing empires is real. He knows that the threat of being distracted or losing your way or seeking out self-pleasure, or chasing, I don't know, say, your own home more than the Lord's home. He knows that those threats are real. He knows that there's going to be a long period of time to come very soon where the prophets don't necessarily call on the Lord anymore, And the Lord's not really in a hurry to call them back. He knows these things are coming. He knows the tension that his people will face. He knows the problems that his people will face. He knows exactly what's on the way. And so he gives this message to get them ready and to make sure that they don't stop doing what they've been set apart to do. There are three things, no shock there, right? Y'all know me. There are three things that I want to pull out of this text that should give us hope and motivation for continuing the Lord's work, even in a time, let me say that another way, especially in a time such as this. Those three things are God's sovereignty, God's selection, and God's signature. And I'm going to start with God's sovereignty. How does verse 20 and 21 begin? The Lord says to Haggai, yo, go tell this to Zerubbabel. What's he say? He says, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. This ain't a trick question. Who's about to shake it? God. God. He says, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth, calling on language to take us to the eschaton, to take us to the end times. He said, in the last days, meaning he expects to be standing on the last day. But then he tells us, you know what's not going to be standing on the last day? Some of these kingdoms ain't going to be around. He talks about overthrowing nations. To overthrow something is to totally destroy the political system, to totally destroy the presence of that nation or the influence of that nation. Language. Evoking ideas of the Lord's past intervention. Can you think of something that the Lord had previously destroyed totally? I can think of lots. But how about Sodom and Gomorrah specifically? How about Sodom and Gomorrah, who he chose to destroy? Let's be clear about this, not because of any one particular sin, so get off that. But because they had built for themselves a bubble of comfort and pleasure and their own ideals that were so significant and so substantial that the presence of the Lord was no longer penetrating that bubble. They were so they were building around themselves What was right in their own eyes so heavily that the Lord went to his messenger and said, If you can find one, if you can find one who will have me in their home, I won't destroy it. And do you know how many they found? Zero. There wasn't one who would have the presence or the message of the Lord in their home. So yeah, that wasn't allowed to stand. Some of us have built a bubble of comfort and pleasure and our own ideals around ourselves we have formed for ourselves a bubble of what's right in our own eyes and in our own opinions and what's comfortable to us, and we've made that bubble so significant that we're no longer open to hearing the voice of our Lord. Some of us believe because instant, temporary satisfaction is available with just the click of a button that, we're, that we no longer need or that, or that we can control our own happiness, our own pleasure. And so there is no need for us any longer to seek the Lord's voice. Some of us are trying to convince ourselves that we're so content with what we have that, there's, that we've stopped listening entirely for the Lord's voice. Some of us have formed a bubble of voices that we trust and that uphold our own views and our own opinions. But what happens when we form that bubble around us is that we're quicker to go to them than we are to go to the Lord. Some of y'all would rather turn on the podcast of a sermon of a preacher you prefer than you would spend time in prayer. Some of us have built bubbles of comfort based on where we live or where we currently stay. And we get so insulated and focused on what's happening in those tiny, and hear me when I say they are tiny, spaces that we completely lose sight of the bigger picture the Lord is trying to show us just over here. And so we hear and participate in all the drama of the cul-de-sac, but we no longer hear the voice of the Lord. God says, you know what else ain't standing? I'm there in the last days. You may or may not be, but I can tell you what isn't, and that's these chariots and their riders. You don't hear that in the, in the Old Testament and not, and not think of Egypt, not think of the exile. Sorry, the exodus. First exile, but that's tech, too technical, too nerdy. I'm sorry. I apologize. You don't hear that and not think of the exodus, Right? You don't hear that and not think of how the Lord delivered his people who were in slavery in the most miraculous way with signs and wonders to Pharaoh, who still refused to get it. So then he was like, well, if he ain't going to let you go, here's the game plan. Ready? Run on three. And so they did. And so they got to the sea and it looked hopeless. But then the Lord was like, oh, no, 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 you just didn't look close enough. Voot, voot, there's the path. He splits the sea. And the Egyptians chase after the Hebrew people. And what happens to them when they get on the path? Their chariots and their riders drown because the Lord closes the water, they drown. the Lord saw and heard the cries of a people under the rule of an oppressive system. And he said, nah, I got you. Freedom is this way. Some of us live our lives intentionally or unintentionally upholding systems of oppression. Some of us willingly participate within institutions that are built on racist tropes from a really long time ago that we have selectively chosen not to get rid of. Some of us willingly uphold those same systems that make it harder for a particular people group to have the upward mobility we preach as the popular narrative in this country. Some of us, don't clap yet because you're about to get mad at me. Some of us see those systems, cry out against those systems, but we don't actually believe in our hearts that the Lord's kingdom or the Lord's plans or the Lord's vehicles here on earth have anything to say or do about those, so we take matters into our own hands. And can I tell you something? The waters are closing on that person too. He said, and each of the enemies will die by death of the sword to their brother. Invoking images of Gideon. When he told Gideon, like, get your people ready. And Gideon's like, I don't know. He's like, man, just get ready, man. Just get ready and go stand on the boundaries of the battle, battle lines. So Gideon's army gets up, and they're ready to fight somebody who is more intimidating than Ivan Drago, right? There's a reference for you. Rocky IV. Look it up, man. Some of y'all looking at me too crazy, and I'm not trying to get mad at you for that right now. And what the Lord does is he says, hey, before you go in there, blow these horns. And as Gideon's army blows the horns, what happens is the enemy turns to each other, and they all start fighting each other. Some of us are so caught up in the arguments and the conflict of our world that we completely forget that the Lord has called us to be on a third team we get so involved in the conflict of, by the way, people who are ultimately just going to kill each other that we lose sight of the fact that the Lord told us to be on the side of victory, which was actually around the edge of the battle line and not right in the heat of the conflict. Some of us have lost our perspective as people who were, who were still on this earth to rule on behalf of a kingdom. That is above all the things of this world. And we would much rather pick a side on it. But if we take nothing else away from this section, we should understand God's sovereignty in the middle of all of it. What does sovereignty mean? It means he's in control. It means he's in control. He said, in the last day, I'm going to be there. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. That political party that you ascribe to ain't shaking nothing, right? It's not. I'm shaking the heavens and the earth. In the end, that country that looks threatening, big, and mighty, and says all these things, and it ain't shaking nothing. I'm shaking the heavens and the earth God is in control so what are you caught up in what are you caught up in I know I stepped on at least two or four of your toes I know right now right now somebody's taking notes on a carefully crafted email they're gonna send but listen Listen, what are you caught up up in? What are you caught up in? Because trusting the Lord's sovereignty looks like seeking his voice in the midst of conflict. Willingly admitting with your whole life that God is sovereign looks like consulting the Lord on your next steps. Not whoever your first few phone calls have been. Let me be clear about something. I'm including myself in that. I can't tell you what the Lord is telling you to do. That's not my job. I can help you with ways to hear the Lord's voice more clearly, but I can't tell you what He's telling you to do, and neither can your dad. Neither can your mom. There are people with spiritual wisdom to help guide you and to help you put yourself in positions to limit some of the distractions we've willingly given ourselves to. But we can't tell you what the Lord is telling you to do. Listen for the Lord's voice. Secondly, is God's selection. This is the part that hit me during worship, God's selection. You know, the middle point is always tough because the first point, you're ready. The third point, you're landing the plane. The middle point, you're just kind of trying to get through. But this is the one that hit me during worship, God's selection. In Haggai chapter 2, God says to Zerubbabel, I will take you. You know when else he said that? to the Hebrew people who were enslaved in Egypt. He said, I've heard your cries. I'm going to deliver you from out underneath Egypt. I will take you to the promised land. Yes. David was in the middle of crying out to God. And God's like, David, David, I have taken you from the pasture. I have taken you from harm. I will put you in a redemptive situation. And now the Lord says to Zerubbabel, and the dangers of casual reading will cause you to miss all of this, right? But he says to Zerubbabel, I will take you. Why to Zerubbabel? Let me tell you, Zerubbabel is from the line of King David, the line that will eventually give birth to our Savior Jesus, right? But one of David's descendants changed the narrative for the negative. There was this king. He was real wicked. His name was Jehoiachin. I don't know how many people expect people named Jehoiachin to not be the villain. But Jehoiachin was a wicked king in the line of King David. And Because of Jehoiachin's disobedience, that whole kingdom was lost to exile. It was wicked. See, the narrative, while the Israelites were in exile, had become that the line of David, which was once supposed to be a line of promise, had become a line that was cursed. Jehoiachin blew it for us all, which is really just blaming him. It was everybody's fault coming from a line that was cursed. So when Zerubbabel is born of the line of David, he is born into a cursed lineage, or at least that was the narrative. But check this out. God says to Zerubbabel through the prophet Haggai in front of the remnant, who still may be holding on to the narrative that the line is cursed. God says, I will take you from a cursed line and deliver you into promise. I will take you out of where you currently stand, and I will reverse the curse. Somebody say reverse the curse. Reverse the curse. What is the Lord trying to take you from? A lot of us are praying to be delivered. A lot of us are desperately wanting the Lord to put us into a place where we can easily recognize promise, but not many of us are willing to be taken from the place where we're currently praying from, right? But what I'm trying to tell you is that if you want to be redeemed, if you want to be taken to glory, if you want to be held up, if you want to be there in the end, you've got to be willing to be taken from where you currently are. So that the Lord can take you and move you into glory. Somebody in here is looking at me like, Pastor, you don't know the family that I've come from. It's basically cursed. Listen, I get it. But the Lord says I can take you from family curses. I can take you from generational chains and put you in a place of promise. Some of you were telling me, look, you don't understand my circumstance is not my fault. I've been put here. The beautiful promise of the Lord is that He can take you from a situation that's not your fault and put you in a place of promise. Somebody in here needs to hear that they have been chosen, that they have been put promise on their head, they have been delivered. But you've got to be willing for the Lord to take you. You've been chosen. You have been selected. It's you. The Lord, who the Lord wants, it's you. Zerubbabel's like, me? You know my family history? You know what people say about me? You know how this is going to look? God's like, you. I've selected you. The Lord has selected you. If you've never thought about that, or if you've never received that promise, listen, today is for you. Yes, sir. Because you're chosen. I know what it was like in your household, I know what it was like in your relationships, I know what it was like in gym class. I know what it was like your entire way through attempting to attain an education. I know what it was like for you. The Lord chose you. Listen, God already knows what you've been up to. God already knows the regret and the shame that you carry. God knows how significantly and heavily shame weighs on your heart. The Lord has chosen you. And I would beg you to choose this day to be the day that you receive that promise. Nothing has ever changed my life like the day I received that promise. Nothing else gives me the strength to stand up here and let you get mad at me like that promise. Nothing else brings wisdom and perspective to my life like receiving that promise. Lastly, God's signature. He calls the rubable the signet ring. That's 2021. I had to YouTube how to pronounce signet ring because I cannot tell you the last time that I have ever heard or used that phrase. And so maybe you feel like I'm demeaning your intelligence, but just indulge me for a moment as I take you on the journey that I had to go on to discover what the heck a signet ring is. Maybe some of y'all are history buffs. Maybe you're like, pastor, you're like making yourself look silly. Look, okay, but I'm telling you, I didn't know. A signet ring was the ring that a king would use to give his seal, to give his impression of approval. See, it's 2021, so we got things like DNA, our little thumbprint. Is this really you? We got things like the uh, 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 check and make sure you're not a robot thing that comes up. If you can select four pictures with a bicycle in it, you have sufficiently proven that you are the one that's trying to log in. We have things like our signature, where you just sign it, say, yes, I approve of this purchase, and it's done. And have that stuff. They had a ring. And the reason it was a ring was so that the king could closely guard it and protect it. Because he didn't want just anyone being able to give his seal of approval. He had to wear it on his person. Because if I kept it in a drawer, you could get to my drawer. But if I keep it on my person, you ain't coming in here. And the signet ring, the way that the the kingdom would move forward on decrees given by the king was that they would write it out on parchment. And then on the seal, they would go over it with just a little bit of wax. And then the king would take his ring and he would put the impression of his ring in that wax, thus making a seal. And so that the world knew, yeah, he gave his stamp of approval. Yes, the king approves of this. He has given this his authority and he expects us to move on it right now. Yes, sir. What the Lord is saying to Jehoiachin, sorry, not to Jehoiachin. What the Lord is saying to Zerubbabel is that you are like my signet ring. Zerubbabel would have been reminded of something that was recorded for us in Jeremiah where the Lord says, I'm so done with you, Jehoiachin, I am going to take from you the signet ring. And now, generations later, he looks at Zerubbabel and says, here it is, it's yours. He gives it back. He reverses the curse. He gives his authority to Zerubbabel. He says, you have my signature. People will know that it's me when they look at you. Jesus says it another way. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, they will know you by this. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. They will know because of the way that you love one another. You want to know what it means in 2021 to bear the signet ring of our Father in heaven? Jesus says people will know that that's the Lord's signature by the way that you love people. I recently, about a year ago, made a purchase in another state that was very large. And when I got back to Canton, I tried to run my card at Walmart. Walmart said, we can't take this. I said, try it again. Maybe your chip's broken, let me swipe. Swipe doesn't work. Maybe you should enter it manually. That didn't work. As they're trying this, the bank calls me. And they said, Are you trying to swipe your card at Walmart? Yeah. yeah, dude, pretty normal. Look at my transaction history. Walmart for the win. They're like, Well, we've locked the use of your card. I said, Why? I think you know how many people are behind me in line? Looking at me because my card won't go through? Unlock my card. They said, well, there was a really large purchase. It was when I got in an accident and the insurance check came through and I bought a new car because mine got totaled, sandwiched. They said, "Um, we noticed this purchase and we looked it up and the signature that you gave on the car doesn't quite match the signature we have for you on file at the bank. See, what had happened was I didn't know people still checked for the signature. And what had happened was I got a little lazy with it. What had happened was I would get that pen and I would just kind of scribble because I didn't think anybody was really checking. I would just kind of get real lazy and loose with my signature because I didn't think that anybody would actually look at that to see that if this was a proper authority given. But what had happened was they do look at that stuff. Some of us have gotten real lazy with bearing the Lord's signature. Some of us come in the name of Christianity and sign stuff lazily thinking that somebody's not going to double back and check that to see if that's really from the Lord. And the problem is we got an era and a time where people believe whatever you put. So there are people believing that you are bearing the Lord's signature, but I can tell you based on the way you're loving people that it doesn't. We've gotten too lazy. We've gotten haphazard with the things that we're willing to sign with, a, with the penmanship that the Lord has given us. But God checks it. You better believe that we will answer for it. And He's going to say that post you made, that signature doesn't quite match. The one that I have on file that I gave you in December of 2009 when you said yes to the presence of my son. It doesn't quite match. So ask yourself, honest self-assessment. What are you known for? What do people know you for? If somebody were to see a statement that you signed off on what would it say how would it make people feel more importantly does it communicate the love grace and truth of our savior let me let me land with this James chapter 1 verse 27 says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is where I'm going to get in trouble. Because I'm going to be real. This week, I have seen more passion In Facebook arguments than I have seen passion for serving the orphans and the widows in our community let me get more specific I know for a fact that some of us spent more time carefully crafting a response on social media than we spent in prayer over the things that plague our community on a daily And I'm sick over it. Yeah. I'm not sure what it's gonna take. I'm not sure if you just don't believe that the stuff that happens in our city isn't just reserved for movies and Compton, but it's real here. It's real. Two blocks over from where you're at, it's yeah. real. So please, to go back to message number one, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider your priorities. Consider what you have taken time to speak on, that your actions Monday through Saturday aren't backing up. Consider your ways. When you spend time caught up in the quarreling of our world. Because let me give you a spoiler. That doesn't stop ever. Consider your ways when you spend more time caught up in arguments than genuinely listening for the voice of the Lord. Because can I tell you something? When you respond, I'm not telling you not to, When you respond with the Lord's signature on it, God knows and it will be made evident by the way your response shows love. The Lord is trying to get us ready because the quarreling of this world doesn't stop. We've been dealing with oppressive systems since Genesis 7. There have been evil things and wicked things on this earth to fight since Genesis 3. And the Lord wants his people, who are meant to be the signet ring on earth, to not lose its authority to not lose its influence, to not lose its relevance because of the things that we choose to get caught up in. Seek the Lord's voice because he's sovereign. Seek the Lord's voice because he is in control. Have hope and peace because you have been selected. You got picked. And carry yourself as one who bears the signet ring. Protect it. Don't just use it on any old thing. Keep it on your person. Protect what you sign. Protect the way you sign it. And let the world see the authority of our creator because of the way that you love. Let's pray. Father God, we acknowledge your sovereignty. We acknowledge that not in biblical times nor in modern times has there ever been a kingdom that could stand up to you. God, we acknowledge that your kingdom is above all things we get caught up on, on this earth. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness in the ways that we've lost sight. In the ways that we've worked harder at building our own bubbles, our own empires, our own ideals than we have on building your kingdom. Lord, I pray for inspiration, for wisdom, for clarity from your Holy Spirit. On what walls we need to stop worrying about building. Lord, you have given us these tools. You have given us the reach and the pool that we have. Lord, let us not lo- lose sight of the fact That the influence we have was specifically, uniquely, creatively designed by you for us. And so, Lord, as ones who bear your signature, as ones that you have signed off on and that grant us authority to sign off on your behalf, please help us carry ourselves as those who rule on behalf of the kingdom of God, where there is hope and peace and love for eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up."